This is Chasing Encounters, a podcast about stories, languages, cultures, and identities. We highlight diversity and intersectionality in contemporary society through respectful and thought-provoking conversations. Hello, this is Chasing Encounters, episode number six. Today we have Anna Bartosik today with me. She's an educator, she's a classroom and online teacher. She has taught English in various contexts, ranging from settlement English classes to English for academic purposes. She has worked as an instructional designer and curriculum developer, and her research interests stem from her work experience. She's a second year PhD student here at OEC at the University of Toronto in curriculum teaching and learning. She's interested in language and literacy education. Welcome, Anna. Thanks, Yasid. How are you doing today? Uh, it's a sunny, bright day in Toronto. I'm so happy to uh, be your guest on uh, Women's Day. Wow, yes. That's very interesting to know. Uh, we're going to start our podcast to talk about Women's Day, International Women's Day. And I'm going to start with an anecdote. Um, I usually start with something interesting about my life or the life of others. And it is um, in Colombia where I was born, and most of you already know this, in Women's Day, we, the men, we usually give a flower or a card to, to women, right? At least that's how I remember how it was in the past. And then that was an opportunity for me as a man to sort of flirt with women and say, hey, happy Women's Day today. Here's a flower for you. And then, obviously, at that moment, women would know that you would be interested in them, romantically speaking, right? And then, in a sense, that's how things work, uh, at least in the context that I that I that I was in the past. But interestingly enough, today, actually, on social media and many other places uh, related to to Colombia, uh, they would say something like, "No, we don't need any flowers, and we don't need any." cards anymore we want the people out there to know what this day is about right and then we all know that this is not necessarily about just being women but uh, we commemorate several things right many things related to to the women's struggles and and then uh, in this day in which we recognize for women's achievements you know, and all those sorts of things. So I don't want to get into the story of this because I don't know much about the story, but I, I do know that something that we need to celebrate today is, is, is uh, all the things that women have been through, and especially especially um, women of color and indigenous women and also those women who have been at the margins, like mm, transgender women and all, all those sorts of things and so on and so forth. I don't know, Anna, do you have anything to say in regards to to International Women's Day. Uh, a white male asked me today, yesterday whether uh, Women's Day was really necessary, whether to make a day for women is really important or valid because it makes women more important than others. Um, so I, at first I thought we still have a long way to go. I had a small exchange with him and I asked him whether the idea of having Women's Day means that perhaps women feel that they still need to um, to draw attention to all the different things. So from my perspective, education, 
uh, and women. Women are a huge, um, a huge presence in education. Uh, I can speak mostly about my own context, North America, but uh, education, women teaching, women learning, marginalized women, women of color, uh, women who come from places of violence, uh, women whose voices have been silenced, women whose um, movements are monitored. And I had, I had some negative thoughts, but then I talked to uh, my son in the evening, and he started a conversation with me. Um, he wanted to know how I felt about gender identity and how I felt about women's rights to choose. And um, he listened to me, and I spoke very honestly to him about what my perceptions are, what, um, what ideas of gender I had growing up, how they might have changed over the course of the years, what I thought about women's right to choose, and he said that he feels um, the same way I do. And I was quite proud of him, but he says, I, I don't know how I can express these thoughts because I'm afraid um, because of the friends that I have, they don't have the same views, and I don't know how to share my views without having people get angry. Um, so I, I feel very hopeful uh, about the future uh, for women with young men like my son and men like you around Yasid. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna think that it's a hopeful thing that we still have Women's Day that we still uh, commemorate it. Exactly, and it's also a, a day to to commemorate and to congratulate uh, the work uh, and then the strength and resilience that women have paid towards justice and equality. And like you said, we still have a long way to go. But it's important to highlight that work that women have done. Uh, and at this point, obviously, I, I highlight the work that my mother has done with me and with my brother for a long time. You know, the women that I have engaged, my ex-wife, my girlfriends, and my partners that I have engaged for so long, they have been the backbone of the work that I do right now. And then it's, it's important to, to just once in a while just to highlight that work. I think it's important. So um, uh, probably a, a question that I want to start uh, asking you is, uh, women in academia, do you have anything to say, any comments about uh, the role of women in academia right now? Again, from my North American perspective, I see a lot of women in academia, and I'm proud to, to know quite a few uh, prominent women in, in academia. Um, but in my participation on in Twitter, uh, academic uh, Twitter, for example, I, I hear the voices of of women who um, who are trying to, let's say, break through that glass ceiling, break through that barrier, and are experiencing a lot of problems. You know, here in Ontario, we're just a year after that uh, big uh, college strike, right? I was I was part of that uh, that strike, and so uh, job precarity in academia is a huge issue, and a lot of women um, face that. Uh, how do we? How do we change things so that uh, people aren't doing little jobs here and there? Uh, do you have something to add about uh, academia and women, Yasid, from your perspective? Well, um, not necessarily because obviously I'm a cisgender straight man, so I don't have the experiences of, of a woman, and I not necessarily have embodied that and understood that. Uh, but I have seen throughout my many years of experience in working with women and other folks is uh, the disparity and the inequality uh, among women, not necessarily uh, in the labor market, but also in the academia and especially in education. 
um, that some women are paid uh, less than the, their male counterparts, for example, and uh, also how they are perceived at work, in their classrooms, uh, some other times when uh, students don't don't respect the, a, a woman in 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 a position of power, a woman who's a teacher, etc. So those are the things that I I can see right now. Uh, I don't I don't know. You're making me. Uh have a, a memory of, of being in the classroom and uh, a student thought uh, he was paying me a compliment. He said, I really like the way you teach. You don't teach like a woman. What? What does that mean? Well, I asked him what that means. He said, you don't teach like women teach. So how do women teach? How do men teach? That's interesting. I, wanna know I only know how I teach. I can only speak from my own experiences about teaching. But what do you think the person was trying to mean when the person say that? I'd like to think that uh, maybe my my methods of being empathetic, but also engaging and being relevant. So uh, embodying things from politics, embodying things from students' future interests, maybe approaching teaching from a task-based approach, not a skills-based approach. You know, uh, Kumarava Develu talks about uh, the the movement of teachers. So we we might begin as a passive technician and then move on to becoming a reflective practitioner. But uh, the ultimate goal, and I think this has changed. Um, I've changed as as, a, as an educator to move to become a transformative intellectual to uh, employ and use ideas of social justice and redefine what language teaching is. It's not just skills teaching. I'm hoping that's what he meant. Well, I I hope so too. But but also you made me think that sometimes the the difference between being a male teacher and a female teacher, and I'm saying this because usually female teachers are pre perceived as being more like soft and caring and um, polite, sort of like that in the classroom, right? Uh, whereas male are more tough or more rude and more political, right? And then when you see a woman who's empowered and bringing all of these topics into the classroom, all of a sudden some people may think, oh, wait a minute, this is not the type of teaching that uh, I'm supposed to be uh, taken from a woman and then that 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 made me think a lot of of, of uh, that difference in between being a male and being a woman I think probably your perspective is more correct in this case <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that the, the theme for this year uh, for the women's day is think equal build smart and innovate for change so I repeat this the theme for this year for the Women's um, uh, International Women's Day is think equal, build smart, and innovate for change. That in a sense it focuses on innovative ways in which we can advance gender equality and, and, and empower women, right? Particularly in the areas of social protection systems, access to public services, sustainable infrastructure, etc. So how do you see this theme related to you and the, and the idea of thinking equal, building a smart and innovation and change. Well, I didn't know about this theme until you told me about it, but it's very apropos when, um, when I consider my own research interests. I'm very interested in professional development, but self-directed professional development in the digital realm, especially uh, Twitter. Uh, my work as an online educator and online course developer um, is relevant to this because online learning, and I know that there's a, a very um, positivist or neoliberal thought about online learning, but um, it's really opened the playing field for people who don't have access to, let's say, cars. 
um, f physical spaces, um, online learning. For example, I teach a course at the University of uh, Manitoba. I developed the courses in the TESOL program. Um, the students who are in the course are, are from different areas, different regions. They don't have access to the classroom or they can't make it there. This is their one opportunity to become certified language teachers. So we've got, um, we, we've leveled the playing field to give access to, to more people to have this opportunity to, to learn. Um, the courses that we've designed, the instructional designer, uh, Yvonne Agnadek, who worked with me on these courses, we we worked on these courses together but she encouraged me to come from from my teaching philosophy how would i want to teach this so the building smart there is the idea is there and innovation for change i think um looking into how teachers are experiencing self-directed learning uh, language teacher education professional development in digital landscapes like like twitter like uh, podcasts like uh, blogs uh, webinars we leave all these places all these pieces of us behind uh, in little like um, like, uh, like they talk about easter eggs right we leave these little eggs all over the place for other people to discover some of our eggs will get discovered some of them won't um, but it, it provides a new way of learning a new way of connecting that hasn't existed before. If we go back 10 years, these opportunities didn't exist for any of us. Right. And now anyone who has access to the web can do all these things. Yeah, you made me think about a quick question that I wanted to ask in relation to Twitter, because I know you're a Twitter expert. I hmm. don't know much about it. And actually you have told me so many things that I didn't know before. So I wonder how you, or how do you see Twitter as a tool for empowerment or for empowering or engaging women more hmm. in the public sphere out there? You know, some people, some women, some people in general uh, uh, may, may not have the voice to say what they need to say. But in your experience, do you think Twitter may help or not women to, 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 to voice what so they need to say? Maybe not specifically women, but let's say educators who are isolated working in a place where they don't have maybe other teachers. So um, someone who is cobbling together an income because they teach here or they do some private tutoring, where do they go to for help with, with an issue? We used to have um, traditional staff rooms where people could talk together, but courses were scheduled at the same time. Now people have various schedules. It's difficult to connect even with your coworkers that work in the same place. But if I sit down at my, um, at my iPad, uh, on my phone, or at a computer and open up Twitter, I can put out a question into the Twitter sphere. Uh, a question that I have that maybe I think nobody else has and I can wait or I can add a hashtag to it if I want to address it to Canadian educators I might use hashtag Canadian ELT um, if I want to find out what people in the UK are doing I might use hashtag ELT chat and I wait and sometimes people respond sometimes I'm surprised by who responds Look, what, that was one of the things that um, made me jump in two feet first into Twitter. Uh, I was looking for new ways to connect with people because I was feeling disengaged and 
I honestly didn't think that I had much more to learn about language teaching. Uh, I joined Twitter first to get information about news, um, to replace a newspaper, and then someone noticed me on Twitter. I feel like Twitter is like a, a cocktail, uh, a cocktail a party. party yes. Yeah. And someone noticed me there. And they noticed that I had put in my biography that I was from a certain place where I don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and they reached out to me. And they said, do you want to meet in person? I'd really like to get to know you better. Nice. And this kind of community, um, this warm, welcoming feeling, it keeps continuing. It keeps building. Um, that person was Dina Moadi, and she's still a very good, uh, a very good person in my life. I often turn to her to see what she's thinking and her perspective on things. But almost every person I've met on Twitter has offered me something that I didn't know that I needed. I think that's what Twitter offers people that um, traditional professional development doesn't. And uh, I don't need to show myself in order to hear what other people are saying. I can listen passively. I can be a lurker in a Twitter chat. I can follow someone and hear what they're saying. And then when I feel comfortable, I can, I can speak. Or maybe I don't speak. Maybe I just stay silent and just absorb like a sponge. But I wonder, uh, something you just said earlier about the question, that you can pose a question. Yep. And then for me, I sometimes pose a question and then there is no response at all, nothing at all. Like I can hear the cricket, <laughs> nothing happens. Not, and I wonder um, whether these platforms is good or not. Like it's good because it gives you voice, but if no one is listening, and in, and in fact, if no one is engaging or responding or replying, is it worthy? Just posing the question and just waiting, or, or or should we just tailor our questions and comments so so get other comments? How does that work? I I know that when I um, I've taught in the University of Manitoba online TESOL course, one of the things that students are encouraged to do is to join the community of practice of Twitter and to pose questions. Well, um, one of the uh, it wasn't a graded assignment, but one of the assignments was to you know throw out a question there into hashtag Canadian ELT and the student wasn't getting a response, just like you said. So what we can do is we can perhaps um, use a hashtag, a different hashtag, or um, ask someone who has a louder voice by, t by adding their, their handle to our tweet. So if I want to hear more about social justice issues related to my topic, I might add your handle to my tweet and ask you to retweet, and then now, I have my community and your community working with me. So um, what I've noticed on Twitter is reaching out to even strangers and tagging them sometimes works. <laughs> and so one of what I did with the student was I took her, her tweet, I retweeted it, I added a couple of different hashtags and I asked my community, my, my personal learning network, could they help her out with her question? And she got a, a plethora of responses. So maybe her, her her budding uh, PLN wasn't big enough yet, but my, my personal learning network was and is bigger. I helped her get an answer to her question. That's one way. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting because as you're speaking, it made me think like, the, like when you were saying, use someone who has a louder voice. It made me feel like, okay, you should opt a person 
and sort of allow the person to work for you. I don't know to what extent that is good or bad, but it's a good idea, though. It's well, a good idea to engage because it's not a. It made me think like it's not necessarily we are co-opting or using this person for the, for my purpose, but to to engage with people that we don't not necessarily know, but 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 to help us answer that question that has been posed. Yeah. Right. So, anyhow, um, I don't know if we have uh, more questions related to the International Women's Day. But something that it, it struck me was when I was reading a, a, a paper, I believe, by Heather Savini, Women. And uh, the title was funny because it says something like, Women, know your limits. <laughs> Cultural sexism in academia. So it made me think to read, right? And then uh, briefly, just to let you know really quick about that, that um, article was about uh, how uh, in universities women are less likely to be promoted or paid as much as their male colleagues, or even get jobs in the first place, right? And that is something that uh, uh, that is something that we as men don't not necessarily feel because we take it for granted that that these things don't happen. But it made me realize that there, these things happen out there, and the fact that there is this article uh, doing some kind of research uh, talking about uh, the, the 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 roles and experiences of women in academia. Uh, so I wonder if you have felt something like this, like like you're being paid less or you're not getting jobs because you're a woman or you're not being promoted, these kinds of things. I, I can definitely say that women do feel like this. Again, in the North American perspective, uh, when you take a look at the landscape, who is working um, those jobs that aren't permanent jobs in colleges or universities, you see more female faces than uh, male faces, whether it's because there is a convenience to only working part-time because there are families to raise or there are other obligations that women feel um, pull them more than perhaps males do or whether um, lower paying jobs don't attract as many men, right? I, I, as a, like I said, as a man, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't see it. I have this sort of privilege that but but I, I want to know not necessarily today but at some point to understand uh, on the, from the other point of view how these things work right and like I said we don't need to answer the question today maybe our folks out there who are listening to this podcast at some point want to actually tweet at some point yeah about this podcast right and about the topics that we're doing today maybe we should share our handles what's your handle on twitter you see like my yeah, i should know but i forgot ortega you see it i guess that's how okay it is. so about i yours, which one is i'm it? at am bartisic okay that's my handle. so uh, so yes i guess uh we're gonna start sharing this podcast on twitter at some point and get some responses to my my questions um Okay, so shifting gears a little bit because I want to know about your research and what you're trying to do in the near future with your work and how we tied uh, this conversation about technology and about Twitter and all of this with the, your interest in, in teacher professional development and, and so on and so forth. So I'm interested in self-directed teacher development in digital spheres, so blogs, um, vlogs, Twitter, Facebook, um, webinars, any place where people have left a digital footprint. And um, I'd like to explore whether the topics that, uh, that are out there that people are discussing in these different places, whether they're reflecting on their own experiences or their own teaching, 
whether these are the things that drive or should be driving education. So uh, compared to traditional forms of professional development that are perhaps top-down mandated, that occur in closed areas like schools or learning centers or uh, conferences. And um, is, is this, I feel that my, my experiences in these digital communities, these communities of practice have affected my teacher identity, have affected my, my teaching and have made me, I think, a better questioning educator. Um, but it's not recognized, right? It's not, it's not a recognized form of professional development. So uh, professional development, as it stands now, it's, it's controlled, right? It, uh, somebody else decides whether what I did was valid or not. For example, your education right now, Yassid, is not a valid form of professional development. It's not recognized by your professional association. Why, why not? Because it isn't. <laughs> Well, I, it's I not on the I list. I don't even know about these <laughs> uh, So professional development, uh, for example, in some areas is mandated. You must do five to ten hours of professional development. Uh -huh. But participating in a Twitter chat is not a form of uh, recognized professional development. Um, and But what do I learn from going to a conference? What if I go to a conference and there's nothing there that engages me, that pushes me to my limits. But by reflecting on my experiences, by talking to you, and then maybe writing a blog about it, and having somebody else read that blog and maybe make comments and have an exchange, um, I would say that that's a more valid form, more real form of, of learning for me. But I can't get it acknowledged by the powers that be. So um, I've learned and grown, first of all, as a graduate student, um, and in digital environments, in Facebook groups, in Twitter chats, in webinars, but most of these things were are not recognized as official professional development. But I really feel that my my learner journey has happened in these places, not in those uh, top-down mandated places of professional development. All right. So I have two questions to address this uh, last comment that you're talking about. The number one is who decides. Who or what? What is it? What, who decides what professional development is, and who decides whether participating in a Twitter chat is professional development or not? In which context? In the in the educational context and in, in so the ESL context, in the English language teaching context. So schools decide that, uh, institutions decide that, professional associations decide that, whether they're uh, local or whether they're international. Yes, but but then what what do you think is their their argument behind that? Like a Twitter chat is not professional development, whether it's traveling two hours to a place, going to a conference, paying all these monies, it is it is, and then the other is not. Why? What is? What do you think is the the rationale behind this thought? It might be just an unawareness of the conversations that are happening. I know in in academic Twitter. Um, People who come to it new are surprised by the conversations that happen and by the honesty that people um, express themselves so openly. Um, they discuss issues that everyone else thinks no one else has ever discussed, that they had these private thoughts that no one else had. So for example, I know this isn't professional development, but the idea of mental health is discussed very openly mm -hmm. on, on Twitter and academic Twitter. And, um, and you can find a lot of support 
from other um, academics and, and educators. Uh, but there aren't a lot of academics in a higher places on Twitter, right? I could maybe name a handful, but there aren't that many. So if they're not there, if they're not participating, they're not part of the conversation and they're not aware of, of what the possibilities are, right? But there's also the idea that things need to be controlled, that things need to be organized, that there needs to be um, accountability for your for, for the steps that you've taken. So if I participate in a Twitter chat by just lurking, I still might be learning, but there's no evidence of me having right. participated in it. Right. So if, if an organization is concerned about documentation, how do I document that? I'm still learning, how but how do I show it? How would you document that? I, I think there is a way to document Oh, that. sure there is. How, how would you document uh, I you might Twitter exchanges and all those sorts of sure. things. How, how do you do that? I could uh, write a blog post. I could have a blog post about it. I could, um, a lot of people start threading their ideas on Twitter because you've got a, a short character limit, but people will list numbers so that they show that there's a thread coming, so they're sharing longer thoughts, they can express themselves more clearly, so there's less um, opportunity for miscommunication. You can do that. Uh, you can go and do a presentation on what you've learned in a Twitter chat, so do a face-to-face -face talk with, with your colleagues. You could do a lunch and learn or, um, yeah, there's so many ways that where it could be seen that you, you've done it. But I think one, one of the largest challenges is that these, these conversations, these experiences that people are having in, in digital communities aren't seen by people who, who have the, the ability to, let's say, give you the certificate that you've done this professional development um, to add it to your portfolio so that you can become tenured. Um, to have it as a valid form of research, right? Yeah, true. So the last question before we uh, actually wrap up, how do we challenge or destabilize these hierarchies of what counts as PD or not? Do we have any tips or tricks on how to do it or, or there is no way to do it? Well, we might base our PhD research on it. <laughs> Yes, we might engage um, tenure-track professors to start acknowledging different types of doing research, different ways of knowledge production, different ways of knowledge mobilization yep. that is different from what traditionally has been posed as legitimate, maybe. And this podcast is only one little thing that we can do to at least start the conversation and then we move it on to Twitter. Yeah, we could also go to the places where the traditional professional development happens. So we can write a journal article in a peer-reviewed journal about our experiences. We can go to a conference and present on what we've learned. We can engage the audience at that conference in uh, trying a Twitter chat or demonstrating what can happen in a live Twitter chat. Um, we can invite people to to webinars that we're doing. You said you just did a webinar on Tutela. What was yes. that topic? Uh, yeah, I was going to say that, that there are many ways we can actually engage people out there into uh, knowledge exchanges. And yeah, I just did one on rela related to culture, intercultural competence, intercultural awareness, intersectionality in English language teaching. 
uh, and it was it was interesting to it was me just like on on my computer just talking about culture and then i didn't realize there were like more than 50 people on the other side of the internets yeah and it was so funny because after that there was this engagement into questions and answers and also there is a chat uh, twitter chat coming up next tuesday I believe, and and then that that's a way. That's a different way of doing things. That's the hashtag CDN ELT chat, right? The Canadian ELT chat. Yes, exactly, and that's coming up on this Tuesday, um, the twelfth, March the twelfth, and yeah, and, and I hope to launch this podcast on March the twelfth for that specific day, as well. It's running at uh, nine p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Wow. Nice. So we have run out of time uh, for our podcast today. I want to ask Anna if you want to say anything that uh, was left on your notes today that you want us to know. Uh, I'd like to uh, give a shout out to some of my fellow academics out on Twitter. Uh, First of all, Yvonne Agnadek. She is a huge supporter of mine and um, we hash out ideas together all the time. She's uh, she's in Manitoba doing her Master's of Science at the University of Edinburgh, all digital. Um, Faith Marcel from Niagara College, she's doing a lot of uh, AR research at the moment. Angelica Galante uh, from um, from Montreal, she uh, her research on plurilingualism is is very powerful. Uh, Dawn Bra- uh, Baisley, she is from York University. She's a scientist, and she's influenced uh, a lot of my thinking on Twitter. Um, and not a woman, but um, an academic and, and one who's known in areas of social justice. Suresh Kanagaraja is on Twitter. You should have him. Uh, you should nice, follow him. Yes, I like Suresh so much. And Rania Khan. Um, I used to work with Rania, and she's very interested in... Um, migrants and trauma and things like that. Um, other people that are on Twitter that I'd like you to have a follow, uh, follow Tyson Seaburn, Jeremy Slagoski, uh, Yulia Desiatova, who's here at OISE. She's doing a lot of PBLA research that's very, very relevant to the Canadian context. Nathan G. Hall out in British Columbia. Um, Scott Roy Douglas, also from BC. And... Um, I want you to follow one new teacher that uh, that I I, um, I interacted with last week. Her name is Eloise Colburn, and she's teaching in Italy. Nice. I'm, 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 I was so glad to hear you mention all those names because sometimes we forget all the people who are behind our work, and it's so important. And I'm just going to take up your challenge and challenge our audience as well to follow one new person on Twitter and start engaging and start having those conversations. Anna, thank you so much for coming to Chasing Encounters today. My pleasure, AC. Thanks for having me. And don't forget, everyone out there, to subscribe to our channel, share this podcast, and support us so we can bring more interesting people. I'm worried about my P's and B's and T's because sometimes those come across really too clearly for me. So I'll pull back and speak louder. Like right now, you, I, can, I can still project my voice, but then my, maybe my P's and B's and D's and T's aren't so pronounced.